You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Has anybody in the room been feeling lately like there's some questions on your mind? Kind of like, does Jesus love me or resent me? Is Jesus angry at me for the wrong things that I've done? Maybe you've made some choices and you're wondering, is Jesus just straight up anger, angry and that's all he's got? Um, maybe some of you guys are looking at the world right now and you're, you're kind of thinking like, there's a lot of doom and gloom right now. There's a lot of feeling like the world is upside down right now. And, and I just wonder sometimes if we sit around kind of going, Jesus, what do you do for me in those moments? Let me ask you this. Have you ever spent time in church? Have you ever listened to a podcast, read a book about God, talked with a Christian, and left that conversation feeling nothing but condemnation and defeat? I just want to say, if that's where you've ever found yourself, I'm so sorry, because I want you to know tonight, that's not Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't leave us at doom and gloom and condemnation and defeat. And so we're going to talk tonight about what that looks like, and we're starting a new series here called Chapter Break. Everybody say Chapter Break. Chapter Break is this series we're going to dive into for a few weeks. And how many readers do we have in the room? You like to read. How many of you guys are like really into reading? Okay, so our staff, we are always reading. We're always trying to learn and grow. And then we talk about what we read in staff meeting. And so I'll order the staff books. And when I ask for how many of you guys want a physical copy versus how many of you guys want a digital copy, I'm always shocked because almost everybody wants a physical copy, even the youngins in the room. We have a pretty young staff, and then most of them want the physical copy. So how many of you guys want a physical copy? when you read? How many of you guys want the digital copy when you read? Okay, so again, it's about 90%. How many of you guys, the only thing you read is the, the description on the Netflix show you might watch? Anybody in the room? All right, we've got a couple of people willing to admit that. How many of you guys only read the Starbucks menu? Like, that's all you read, okay? Yeah, all the jittery hands went up. Too much caffeine going through there, pumping through your veins. When you and I read a book, here's what happens. Usually, you can sense when the end of the chapter is coming, the chapter break right? As you're reading, let's say it's a how-to book or something you're reading for school. You can usually start to see, okay, they're summarizing points now. There's some application and discussion questions, and so this is probably the end of the chapter. If you're reading a biography, an autobiography, or a fiction, usually, even if they're going to leave it on a cliffhanger, you can still see they're winding down the end of one chapter only to lead you to the next, right? Sometimes, though, in the Bible, you don't get that. You don't have a good chapter break. Sometimes in the Bible we find that it's almost like mid-sentence, mid-story, mid-conversation, the chapter ends and we're left confused, not quite understanding what should be happening next or what we walk away with. So in the 1200s, the Archbishop Stephen Langton added the chapters into the Bible, okay? Then 200 years later, they added the verses. So for many, many centuries, there was no chapters and verses, and suddenly there's chapters, and then 200 years later come verses. And honestly, I'm really grateful for the chapters and verses, okay? Imagine trying to memorize verses without having the the chapter number and then the verse number. It'd be really hard. Imagine coming in here on a Sunday night. I'd be like, guys, we're going to look at the book of Leviticus tonight. Um, I can't exactly tell you where to go. Just flip a few pages in, and when you see the word sacrifice four times in the same chapter, we're going to look at the next one below that next to the word offering. You know what I mean? Like it would have been really hard to get us all on the same page. So I'm extremely grateful for the chapters and the verses, but here's the deal. Sometimes they put the chapter break. My man Stephen Langton, the archbishop, put the chapter break in a bad spot. 
And I don't want this series to mess you up and get you stressed about your Bible. You can trust your Bible, okay? Your, your Bible is the word of God no matter how it's broken up. But sometimes in trying to help us with these chapter breaks, they cut a conversation in half that is linked. And then we struggle to understand the context. We struggle to understand what the Bible was really trying to say. And the goal of this series is to get you and I to keep reading, to keep going, to keep digging until we connect those conversations. Sometimes you might read the Bible and have a question. I would guarantee everybody in the room would raise their hand and say, there's been a time I've read the Bible and I've been confused. I've had a question. There's something I don't understand. Well, somebody once said the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, right? So you have a question about this part. Well, maybe keep reading, right? Maybe right before or right after is the answer, or maybe just keep going, and in another book, you'll find the answer to the question that you have. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't know how to read the Bible, if the Bible confuses you, that's why we're here. In fact, that discipleship and mentoring program would really benefit you, maybe. And so I encourage you in this series to keep digging and keep going because context is so important right? Like imagine if there were chapter breaks in our conversations with people just in life, like that would be awful. Like if I said to my wife, Kelly, you know, the next time that you make an order at the grocery store, can you make sure you get just tons and tons of toilet paper? And next thing I know, I got people from church going, oh man, Doug's got stomach issues, right? Did you hear? He told Kelly to get all this toilet paper and people start buying me Gas-X and Pepto-Bismol. I'm like, what is going on here? And my wife tells, tells me that she told everybody that I said, get the toilet paper. And she forgot to mention it's for the homeless ministry outreach, right? It's not for me. And so context is so important. The chapter break is so incredibly important. And so here in this series, we want to encourage you to keep digging. Don't be stressed about the chapter breaks in the Bible. But sometimes we just need to keep reading. Now, as important as that is, here's my prayer for you and I today. That we'll learn in life we don't just keep reading. We keep listening. Because here's the thing. If you find yourself feeling like Jesus resents you instead of loves you, keep listening because that's not his voice. If you feel like you're wallowed, all messed up, you know, pressed down and weighted down by condemnation, keep listening because Jesus does not leave us there. That's not his voice. If you are seeing doom and gloom everywhere you look and it feels like the world is turning upside down or it's the end of the world or whatever you want to call it, I'm just telling you, Jesus doesn't leave us there. If you are feeling like when you leave hanging out with that certain Christian friend, all they can do is kind of cut you down and tear you down, make you feel like a bad follower of Jesus, keep listening because that's not where Jesus leaves us. So keep reading, keep listening. We're going to see how this all works out here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be going, what do I care about where the chapter breaks in the Bible are? I could care less. Well, don't worry about that. See, tonight you're going to hear a whole bunch about Jesus. You're going to learn a whole bunch about his love for you. And maybe you came in tonight thinking he was just straight up angry at you and that's it. He, he, he was coming hard at you and that's it. And maybe you wake up every morning or you, you're waking up throughout the night thinking doom, gloom, end of the world, like freaking out, Okay. And when I say end of the world here tonight, I want to let you know, I'm not like this end times prophet saying the world's about to end. I'm just saying sometimes there are things in our lives that feel like the end of the world. What does Jesus do for us in those moments? Let's read John chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. You can read on the screens with me. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus' time on earth was coming to a close. 
He was going to leave. He was going to first be separated from his followers because he would be arrested and then crucified. And he would then be separated from his followers because he would ascend into heaven. And so his time with his disciples, as they've known it, is coming to an end. The verses go on. Go on. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Listen, this is talking about Jesus' followers. Probably not just the 12, but especially the 12, okay? And it says he loved them to the end. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus is about to go be beaten and crucified for sinful people of whom his 12 followers, followers were, right? They were sinful people. Their sin, along with our sin, along with all of humanity's sin, is what put Jesus on the cross. But when he's about to go to the cross, his heart is, man, I love you guys to the end. I love you guys to the end. I go to the cross loving you to the end. I don't go to the cross resentfully, Jesus is saying. I don't go to the cross wishing that you guys could just get your act together so I wouldn't have to go do this. No, he loves us to the end. Everybody look me in the eyes for a second. If you are thinking tonight that your performance or something done against you that caused you shame has somehow made Jesus resent you and not want you, that could not be further from the truth. He loves you to the end. You stop figuring out certain ways that that can't be true for you. You have to stop putting yourself in a category, or maybe you felt like a church has put you in a category, and the category that you feel you are in is ruled out from the grace of God. That's a lie. There's no category. There's nothing that gets in the way of Jesus' love for you. He loves you to the end. Now listen, that doesn't mean that sometimes... He doesn't look at our life and say, okay, there's an area here of your life that we need to work on, okay? But here's the deal. He loves us through the change. Do you hear me? He loves us through the change. In fact, it's his love that enables the change in our life. If you're here tonight going, man, I just wish I could change. I'm, I'm addicted or I'm, I'm, I'm so struggling in this area. I'm so afraid. I'm so angry. I'm so full of unforgiveness. I wish I could just change. I just want to tell you tonight exactly what will change you. It is his love, and he promised to love you to the end. So his love is not like this thing that just glosses over all the hard stuff in our life and, and pretends everything's okay and nothing bad ever happens. No, his love sometimes means that he looks at you and me and says, I've got something better for you. You're beating your head against the wall, and I want to stop that. So let me draw some attention to that area of your life, but I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to hold your hand through it. And here's where we struggle. Everybody just look me in the eyes for a second. Here's where we struggle. This is why we sometimes don't believe that Jesus loves us to the end, because people haven't always loved us to the end, have they? A parent, a teacher, a coach, a boss, somebody wounded you. And so now, when Jesus says he loves you to the end, all you can think about is how they didn't. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus stands apart. There's no one else like him. We're going to see that as we continue on here. He loves you to the end. So if you walked in wondering if Jesus resents you or loves you, wondering if all he's got is anger towards you, here tonight he loves you to the end. What does Jesus do for us, though, when it feels like the end of the world, when there's just doom and gloom everywhere, or when we feel condemned every time we seem to be around him or those who claim to be his? We're going to keep on discovering answers as we move forward here. So let me summarize a little bit, because this is a long chapter, and we're only going to get to a few verses. So let me summarize. Jesus then washes the disciples' feet, and then he talks about his betrayal. And then in verse 21, it says, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So Jesus 
said he would be betrayed, but now he's looking at his 12 guys and he's like, one of you is going to do it. Like one of you is the one who was going to betray me. And in this moment, Judas is identified as the one who betrayed Jesus and leaves. Everybody listen, right? You know that sick feeling you get when you know your world's about to fall apart? It hasn't yet, but it's like almost there. It's that feeling of when you're driving to Chick-fil-A and then you realize it's Sunday. Like, like that's that feeling I'm talking about, okay? No, 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 for real though. It's, it's the feeling when the person you've been really close to and confided everything in stops texting you and then starts avoiding you in person and then just deletes all social media contact. And you're like, what just happened? It's when you go to the doctor for the routine checkup and suddenly they start to pay attention to a certain area of your body and they call in somebody else and say, can you please come look? I need a second opinion. And they start talking about, you have to come back and do follow-up visits and, and we're gonna have to send you for some tests and we don't know what's going on. Like, like that feeling, that's what the disciples are feeling, but times a million. William Barclay says this, read it with me. In a very short time, life for the disciples was gonna fall in. Their sun was going to set at midday and their world was going to collapse in chaos around them. What does Jesus do for us when we're right here? When there's war across the world? When we still haven't gotten our finances back in order since COVID hit in the first place? What do we do when we find ourselves in those scenarios? Look what it says. And down in verse 33, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Again, Jesus is referring to the two things that would separate him from his followers, his death and then his ascension to heaven. The disciples cannot believe this is all happening. Their world is ending, so they think. Doom and gloom is all they hear right now. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Peter's upset. He doesn't understand. Where are you going and why can't I come with you? What does Jesus do for us when it feels like the end of the world? Let's keep reading. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is bold here. He's passionate here. He's like, Lord, I'm going to give my life for you. I, I will do anything. I will do Absolutely anything it takes to continue to show you how devoted I am to you. He makes this bold promise. But then in verse 38, it says this. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter hears this horrible news from Jesus. Oh, Peter, not only will you not lay down your life for me right now, you're going to disown me three times. This would have blown Peter's mind. Like if you had told Peter this uh, the week before, that this was going to be his current condition in life, he wouldn't have believed you. He was so bold and passionate for Jesus. He couldn't imagine denying him. D.A. Carson said this, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outgrip his strength. And so Jesus just told them he's leaving. Judas is a betrayer that Peter would fail him and deny him. Listen to me. Everybody look at me real quick. And then the chapter ends. Chapter break. You and I go to work or school after reading that chapter. And I think what we might be tempted to do is identify with Peter here. Man, Peter failed Jesus, just like me. 
I just, I can't get it right, man. I keep denying him. I keep doing things I know he wouldn't want me to do. And we walk through our day like this, and we walk through our day thinking, man, Peter must have felt such doom and gloom and condemnation there, right there at that chapter break. How many of you guys have seen the movie Inception? A bunch of you guys seen that movie? You remember when it ended and you were like, it's not over, right? It's not over. Like, is the top still spinning or did it fall over? Dream world, real, real world? Like, I didn't sleep for a month. Like, what just happened? That's the worst possible place to end the story. And that's what we feel like happens here, isn't it? Peter must just leave this conversation feeling so defeated. What a horrible ending to the story. Does it sometimes feel like this is how God leaves us? Doom, gloom, you're a failure. You're going to let me down. Maybe that's sometimes the message you've received. Maybe that's what you've felt. Good news. Everybody listen to me. A chapter is over, but the conversation isn't. Archbishop Stephen Langton got this one wrong. The chapter is over, but the conversation isn't. Can we look at the very next words in the same conversation? John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Are you kidding me? That's the same conversation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I think, I think Peter was probably kind of like annoyed and relieved at the same time. Like annoyed, like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Don't let my heart be troubled. You just told me all these horrible things are going to happen, and I'm going to fail you. Don't let my heart be troubled. But then I also think Peter's probably going, but Jesus, thank you. Because you just told me my world's about to fall apart, but you're comforting me. You're telling me that even when I'm going to fail you, don't let my heart be troubled. What does Jesus do for us when it feels like the end of the world? Everybody look me in the eyes real quick. He comforts us. He comforts us. That's Jesus. That's the voice of Jesus. Does Jesus sometimes say hard things? Oh, well, he sure did just to Peter, didn't he? But that's not where he leaves us. He keeps leaving us to hope. He comforts us in the midst of hard conversations. Then he goes on. He comforts them even more. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. He's talking about heaven. He's using an illustration. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Does it sometimes feel like The world around you just leads you to doom and gloom. Here is Jesus saying, can I just comfort you? First, I'm going to tell you that your heart shouldn't be troubled. And then I'm going to tell you, oh, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm purchasing eternity for you. And I'm going to make a place for you. You see, here's the thing. If we're really listening, if we keep reading and we keep listening in life for the voice of God, it always leads us to hope. Everybody say hope. That's always where we arrive. That's always where Jesus takes us. So after the betrayal of Peter's denial and Jesus, this talk of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is going, don't let your hearts be troubled. Heaven awaits you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Heaven awaits you. Listen, I've got more than that, okay? I hope you don't think, oh, great, I just got to think about heaven now and life is hell. Like, no, 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 no. Like, we're going to get to some more here and now comfort. But heaven is huge, everybody. We need to do a series on heaven soon because a lot of us think we're just going to be like floating on clouds, shooting arrows at random people that we hope fall in love. Like, that's not heaven, okay? Sounds more like hell to me. No, see, this idea of being with our Savior and and being with one another and no more sin and no more, more pandemic and no more, like, all of those awful things we walk through, like, here is great hope. But that's not all 
that Jesus gives them hope for. Later in chapter 14, he says, I hope you know the enemy has no hold on me. Like You guys know the, the enemy has no hold on me, Jesus says to these 12 guys. And then he goes on and he says, and I also want to let you know that the Holy Spirit's coming. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. In another spot in the scripture, Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving so I could send the Holy Spirit because Jesus could only be with them in one spot with one you know, people or a group of people at one time. But he says the Holy Spirit can go with all believers everywhere. Everybody say, I've got it made. So that's three weeks in a row now that we've said, I've got it made because the Holy Spirit goes with us everywhere we go. And Jesus tells us that should be great comfort. There's doom and gloom all around us. Feels like the end of the world, figuratively or literally. You, you fill in the blank, right? There's condemnation. There's, there's this idea that Jesus resents us. Like, and here's Jesus saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Heaven, the enemy has no hold on me. And the Holy Spirit is in your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be saying, man, this idea of heaven sounds great. How do I get that? Do I be really good? Do I change myself? Well, Thomas asked a very similar question in the next part of the verses. So Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it really clear. Jesus is not just one way to heaven. He's not like the person that you're supposed to try to be like so that you can earn your way to heaven. He's not pointing the way to heaven. He's not like a little bit of the recipe for the stew to try to get eternal life and you kind of mix up some good works and some Jesus and some really nice things and some good thoughts and some positive vibes. No, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our only way, truth, and life. And so the chapter goes on. We don't have time to get to it all. I'd keep you here all night if we went through John 13 and 14, but there's one more verse I want to highlight way kind of down here in verse 27. Here's what he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, heaven. He says, the enemy has no hold on me. He says, Holy Spirit's coming. He says, peace. I'm going to give you peace. Not like the world gives. Because by the way, we all know the world doesn't actually offer peace. Do we know what the world offers? It's called distraction. It's distraction. And that's okay sometimes, right? Go on vacation. Oh, I feel so at peace. Well, that's great. You're just distracted, <laughs> right? Oh, man, I got a new thing. I love this. Now, I'm at peace. You know those things that had me upset? Well, I got this thing. I bought this thing, and now I feel good. Well, you're just distracted. It's okay. You can get the thing. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Be blessed. But, but at the end of the day, that's just peace like the world tries to give. It's peace in um, absence of conflict. Guys, that's not life. That's not real. But here's Jesus saying, oh, I give a different type of peace. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, I think the word that characterizes the entire world today is fear. I think that's the word that if we had to write it over the whole world, we could write that word fear. And I think every single person that woke up today needs hope. And here is Jesus saying, I am the hope, right? And I'm gonna point you to the hope of heaven, the hope of my spirit in your life, the hope the enemy has no hold on me, the hope that I give a peace the world doesn't give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Think about Peter for a second. 
I think the thing that got Peter most upset was his own shortcomings. I think he was upset Jesus was leaving. I think he was upset that Judas was a betrayer. We know Peter. He was pretty fiery. I think there was something in Peter that wanted to chase Judas down and smack his head against a couple of trees, right, for being the betrayer. But I think the thing that got Peter most upset was his own failure, the thought of his own denial. And even in the face of that, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Some of us, man, we came in beating ourselves up so badly tonight. And you know what? Sin is serious, right? There's consequences. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Sometimes we make some choices, and there are consequences to those choices. But we came in tonight just beating ourselves. We've lost sleep. We have figured God didn't want us. We're only here tonight because a friend dragged us here, or we're hanging out with them after church tonight. And I just want to let you know that in the face of our worst failure, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he points us to hope. So I'm 44. In the last two years, my peace has been the most under fire it ever has in my life. Um, I have not been someone who normally struggled with anxiety or those types of things, but in the last two years, almost every morning, I wake up in 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 a bit of a panic. And I really believe that this is a season that probably has a lot to do with what I went through medically and also what we all went through together in the world over the last two years. And I want to just encourage you because if that's you at any point in your day, I know sometimes people struggle with it early in the morning. Sometimes they get hit in the middle of the day. Sometimes it's nighttime trying to fall asleep. Sometimes it's all day at various points. Could be really random. That in any given day, I can get to a place of peace in Jesus. In any given day, I can, I can get there. I don't start there. That's just, that's just where I'm at right now. I start in a, in a horrible place of anxiety every single morning. But as I get near Jesus and as I get my mind around his truth, I can find and walk in for the rest of that day the peace of God because he gives a peace that the world doesn't give. It's different. I'm not distracting myself. I'm not just numbing out. I'm I'm near him. And I can get to that place of my heart not being troubled. And I know he has that for you as well. And so when you're reading the Bible, keep reading. In this series, we're going to look at a few chapter breaks that weren't in the best spots and just kind of bridge the gap. And most of the chapter breaks in the Bible, 99.9% of them are probably great. But there's a few we just want to focus on and give you this skill of keep reading, keep looking. But more than that, also help you know, if I'm in a place where I feel like Jesus resents me, if I'm in a place where I feel like he's just angry, if I'm in a place where I feel all is doom and gloom and the world is about to turn upside down and there's no hope, if I've talked with a Christian or gone to a church or read a book and all I feel is condemnation, I'm going to keep listening. Because Jesus is always going to lead me to hope. If you're a follower of Jesus here, I believe if we begin to live this out, we're going to find just such tremendous comfort and strength. After one of the services today, somebody pulled me aside and she just said, Doug, I just so badly want to walk through my week with people seeing Jesus in my life. 
And she's going through some really hard stuff, like crazy hard. Most of us in the room can't even fathom some of the situations she's in. But she just said, Doug, I don't want to react to all that like everybody else does. I want people to see Jesus in me. And that comes from a heart that is near him, a heart that is saying, Holy Spirit, fill my life. And it's your power that's going to keep me from my heart being troubled. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you know everything that Jesus did and said was that you and I would know him. It's his love that draws us to himself. And sometimes he has to get real about where we are right now. Some of you might almost feel like, God, you know, who are you to almost point out this area of my life that maybe needs to change, or who are you to challenge me, so to speak? But let me just help you think about it this way. When I was three or four years old, I drove my big wheels down a flight of stairs, okay? It was like this little ride-on thing, and I drove it down a flight of stairs. Now, most of the room is going to get this. At the other two services, everybody laughed real hard. You're going to be like, why is this funny? But it has to do with many of your ages, okay? When I was riding this big wheel down the stairs, what um, was going to happen after that was my mom and dad were going to take us to Sears for a family portrait, okay? And most of you don't know what that means, all right? Back in the day when we didn't have really great digital cameras, you would make an appointment, your mom would make an appointment at the store, and your whole family get dressed up, and you'd go stand in front of this stupid backdrop, kind of like school pictures, but way more embarrassing because it's your whole family, and you'd take the picture. And here I drove the big wheels down the stairs, like I'm all bruised and beat up, right? And so I don't know like, what got into my parents, but they were like all over me about this whole stair thing, you know, any time going forward, right? Well, of course they were. I drove my big wheels down a flight of stairs. Of course they were. I'm 44 years old. When my dad sees me going toward a stairway, even to this day, he's like, you good? We all right? You know? Got to keep an eye on my man here. See, they love me, and so they're going to point out an area of my life. They pointed out an area of my life, and they've done it repeatedly with different things. Thankfully, that was the one isolated big wheel event but more serious things as I got older. And, and that's God. God points out an area of our life and says, what's going on here? And he loves us through the change. He loves us to the change. It's his love that empowers the change. And so if you're here tonight and you have an area of your life where you just feel like, man, it feels like, like these lights that are hitting me right now, it feels like God's just doing that to this area of my life, just like spotlighting something. I can promise you it's out of love. I can promise you that you... Changing or not changing not, does not save you. I can promise you that it's his work of love in your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and tonight you almost feel like there's a big spotlight on you sitting in your seat. Like, what's going on right now? Like, I feel like, I just feel like I, I want to know Jesus. I'm a little confused about what that means. I, I, this is all so new. I just say tonight, I would love to lead you in a prayer where you just take a step toward Jesus. Where you just pray a simple prayer. You begin a conversation of, of Jesus, I want to know you. I want you in my life. I, I want you to forgive my sins. Because we read tonight that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it was his death on the cross and his resurrection that frees us from our sin. And so if you want a relationship with him tonight, I'd love to pray with you. But church, we got to get our eyes on the hope. Jesus says, heaven, he says, the enemy has no hold over me. He says, the Holy Spirit is in your life. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I give you a peace the world does not give. I pray that you and I can know how much it means that heaven awaits us. Let me read this and then we'll pray. Arthur Pink said this, Today, the average home is little more than a boarding house, a place to eat and sleep in. 
but home used to mean and still means to a few. The place where we are loved for our own sakes, the place where we are always welcome, the place whether we can retire from the strife of the world and enjoy rest and peace, the place where loved ones are together, such will heaven be. Believers are now in a strange country, yea, in an enemy's land. In the life to come, they will be at home. Let's pray together. God, tonight we just bring to you, Lord, those areas of our life that are doom, gloom, end of the world, accusation, condemnation, failure. And God, we thank you that to every one of those you say, do not let your hearts be troubled. God, thank you that you lead us to hope. Thank you that the chapter was over, but the conversation was just beginning with Peter. I just want to encourage everybody here tonight to to, to stay with me now. I know I say this a lot at this point, but I think sometimes you're like, man, I've been hearing this voice for 35 minutes. I need a new voice, but I would just say, well, just hang on because I think God wants to do some stuff in us if we'll let him. And so what is the end of the world for you right now? What is the doom and gloom? Would you bring that to Jesus? What of your own failures, denials do you need to bring to Jesus? What area of your life is he maybe spotlighting that he wants to love you to change? He wants to hold your hand and lead you to change. He wants to pick you right up and carry you into the change that he has for you. And it's good change. It's keeping you from from going down a, a flight of stairs that might kill you. Because to all of that, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. This generation needs peace. Can I just speak that over you guys? We need peace. You young adults and college students, oh man, you need the peace of God. You need the peace of God. You and I, we won't make it without it. And tonight I would just say, Lord, would you pour out that peace in bucket loads over this church tonight? Would you pour it out over the young adults, this next generation that's being raised up, not just to go through life and pay bills, but to live for something. Jesus, would you pour out that peace over my generation here in this room and those older than me as we care and we worry about that generation coming next because we love them and we want the best for them and we hate that this is the world that they're growing up in with all the challenges we've seen. Would you fill us with peace, God? God, I thank you that my failures don't rule me out. I thank you that my shortcomings and the doom and gloom and the things that feel like the end of the world haven't taken me out. And I thank you that the same is true for everybody else here. And I pray that you would let us walk in the hope of Jesus. Let the truth that heaven awaits, that the enemy has no hold on our Savior, that the Holy Spirit is in our life, and that we can walk in great peace, make all the difference. We love you, God. Amen.